on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. A day later, but I got more ideas, and I think I want to talk to you about them. Uh, <laughs> well, this is the Unfounded Podcast. For those of you who don't know, my name is Chris Turner. I am your host. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. I know uh, I'm quick on the heels with this one, but like I said, I'm honestly a little bit bored today, and I was in a very chatty mood. I was on the phone with my mom just earlier, kind of talking about all the stuff that's going on, and uh, I think I probably annoyed her a little bit because she <laughs> was on the phone for like two hours, so maybe that means I need to sit down and talk to you guys, right? Um Hopefully, at least we'll find out. Because uh, I don't have anything top of mind, right? I'm not sitting here uh, with some kind of word or th- something I want to look up, anything like that. Uh, I just kind of want to talk to you guys uh, and maybe provide a little bit of an outlet uh, for the boredom, <laughs> nothing else. But um, kind of some of the stuff we were talking about, and this is going to be, this episode will be a little loose. Like I'm going to kind of shoot from the hip, right? And, and uh, I might jump over all, the, all over the place as if that's something new, right? Um, but I, I kind of want to talk about some of the ideas that, some of my ideas that I consider more unfounded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think a lot of ideas, period, are unfounded in the world. But, you know, a lot of the ones that I present or the ones that I try to present are the ones that I consider the most uh, concrete in my view. Um, for me, at least from my perspective, but I often hold back, uh, because I have a lot of other sides of me that can be a little bit more conspiratorial and a little bit more radical in certain ways. And I, um, like I said, I hold back a little bit, not, not to kind of filter myself purposely, but more because I don't feel like it's beneficial. Uh, you know, and it's not like it's an intentional process. It's just kind of what ends up happening. So maybe this podcast will be a little more intentional on letting, out some of those more radical ideas. How about that? Let's make it that. So, um, first I want to talk about, uh, is, and I talked about it before. Um, like I said, coronavirus is impossible to escape right now. Um, it's like only thing going, going on in the news, but I kind of wanted to talk about, um, the economic outlook, uh, moving forward and kind of what I think is happening right now economically. Now I am not an economist, uh, right, right off the bat. You guys should know that by now, if you've been listening, um, but I do have some theories, right, on what could be going going on here. And I think hmm, – where should, where should we start here? Let me drink my coffee real quick. Hold on one second. Yep. Now nah, it worked. Okay. That's so good. By the way, I got this coconut creamer for my coffee, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's, I think it's Nestle Toll House or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, good stuff. It's like coconut creamer. Definitely find it. Um – so I've been saying for a while now, and I start. I, I think I started feeling this, or, or, or there was a moment in time where I got pretty depressed, right? When I left my job, like I said, about nine months ago, I got really depressed, went in a really dark place. And there was a period of time where I started to, for lack of a better way to describe it, for lack of a better way of describing it, started to root against the world. What do I mean by that? Um... I think when you get into a really dark place, and some of you may be able to, you know, resonate with this, when you get into a really bad spot where you feel like there's no recourse and you don't know what to do, <clears throat> maybe you feel a little bit um, taken advantage of, right? Or you feel like the world hasn't treated you fairly. Um, if you dwell on that feeling for long enough, where it'll get to get you to eventually is uh, a place where you start to root against the world. What I mean by that is, if you view the world as something that is doing you wrong, right, as something that should be fair, uh, then when you get treated unfairly, like you're going to, because the world is not a fair place, it doesn't care about your feelings, um, then you, the only way you can view it as, as, is as a slight against you, like a personal attack against you, like the world personally hates you. <clears throat> and so the recourse you have is to say, fuck you world. That's what you'll do. At least that's what most people will do. If you get to that, if you get follow that idea far enough, right? You get into a really dark place. You don't have any other recourse. You say, screw you world. You know, now when you're, when I was in this dark place, the reason I bring it up, right? When I was in this dark place, um, I started to, I think I, I, I gleaned some valuable insight, even though the experience was not necessarily pleasant. 
I think the insight that I gained being in that dark place was that there are a lot of A lot of the systems that are in place in our modern world are morally and ethically inept. Maybe they began at one point. Maybe the organizations and corporations and institutions began, you know, with the inception of the country. With this purpose of of kind of providing stability and, and venues for different ideas and products, things like that, right? But... What's happened, I think, and is partially a product of our economic system, this way of viewing economies in general, it's leached into our um, political sphere and the social sphere as well, the more cultural sphere, and created an incentive structure within organizations themselves that rewards bad actors. It incentivizes negative and unethical behavior by not only not punishing, but but by rewarding it. There's, we made a mistake at some point, I think, and I think it happened, like I said, I've said this before during the 1980s, when there was this, this focus on wealth and Wall Street speculation as the main means of providing wealth to the world, um, that, that, that I think created this backwards incentive structure that incentivized sociopathic behavior and so what you have or experience a lot of the times within organizations especially in leadership positions is sociopaths <laughs> maybe some of you listening are like very high in organizations right now and are a sociopath you probably know if you are a lot of people will admit they are too like I said the job I worked in there was a lot of sociopaths you can tell who they are, like people. People like sociopaths. Let's define that really quick. Actually, that's a good. That's a good place. Sociopaths. I might be one. I don't know. Probably if I worked at Amazon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, a sociopath is a term used to describe someone who has antisocial personality disorder. People with ASPD can't understand others' feelings. They'll often break rules or make impulsive decisions without feeling guilty for the harm they cause. Now, that is definitely not me. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by this podcast, uh, I have a problem of not being able to not feel other people's feelings, if you understand if that makes any sense. But um, that's more of my problem. Uh, but you you do encounter people like this in the workplace quite often. Um, and I would say, I would venture to argue that it happens, you, you see the sociopathic tendency more often in the leadership position in modern institutions and in organizations and businesses uh, than in kind of the worker uh, position. Reason being is a sociopath kind of has no problem wreaking havoc <laughs> getting to that point, right? As far as competition goes, there's no meaner competitor than a sociopath, right? They'll do anything to win, right? Anything to win. Now, and honestly, like the whole show, you know, you watched The Apprentice, you know, everybody in America watched The Apprentice when they were younger for me, my generation, but, um, like the mid 2000s I think is when it was popular at least I mean that whole that whole show was 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 propping up the sociopathic behavior manipulation of, of people in order to get what you want from them kind of like that you know and, and I would argue like I said I've, I've said before I'm no Trump fan like as, as especially on a personal level from what I can tell like I don't know him personally so I, I don't want to go too far on that but from what I can tell the man's probably a sociopath you know what I mean but at the same time um the reason I bring this up let's just see if I can get back to why I brought up sociopaths I got kind of on a deep one there didn't I um is this incentive structure this is this is what we've incentivized I think and and what's happening now or what happened to me when I was in that dark place is I realized that it was like made blatantly obvious and I started to root against it. But the problem is, is like that is the system of the world right now. Like the world is dominated by capitalist systems that incentivize this kind of behavior, I think. And 
So if you root against the system, you root against the world. And I think there is something very deeply evil about rooting against the world. You should never root against the world. Let me make myself very clear. You should never root against the world. As soon as you do, you make yourself into a monster. As soon as you do. Doesn't mean there can't be valuable insight gleaned from dabbling in that perspective, right? Like I was just saying. I think I learned a lot about the world and my desire to root against it. It doesn't mean it was the right way to feel or the right desire to follow. Because I honestly think that right there, that little scenario I just walked you through is exactly how you make the worst monsters in our society. You get them to a place where they feel like the world has treated them unfairly and you get them rooting against the world. And then they go and do horrible shit to people that did nothing to them. That's how you get them motivated to do that. You know, I don't mean to scare anybody by kind of outlining that, but I feel like my experience has has has, has given me some insight into into this dark place in American history, in the world history. Now, the reason, the original reason I brought it up was not to talk about kind of the darker side of our society. It was more to point out that I think our economic system may be failing. And I think what we're witnessing right now is the beginning of an economic collapse. Now, again, I told you this is going to be a little off the wall, right? The reason I initially said the economy was going to collapse, like I said, this happened, this started really when I started to root against things or when I was in that root against things mode. But it was when I and when I realized that, that the incentive structure was backwards and that it was actually actively disincentivizing, I think, some of the most valuable people in the economy from participating in it. Some of the most valuable ideas. Just because you're a sociopath and you're dominant doesn't mean you have the best ideas. Just because you're competitive and good at competing doesn't mean you're the best at whatever job you're doing. Not necessarily. It's what our, 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 what our structure has been based on up until this point. Competence. That's what we'd like to associate our economic system with. It's competence, right? We say if you're more competent than the person next to you, you get to move up that chain. That's fine and good as long as you have good actors in that system. But when you place a sociopath in that system where they're willing to use blackmail, anything to get by, then what you're promoting isn't necessarily the best person or the most competent person. What you're promoting is the most dominant person. And what you end up having is not a hierarchy of competence, it's a hierarchy of dominance. And that's, (laughs) so this is where I think my conservative and liberal sides kind of meet, right? Because you hear about like dominance hierarchies all the time on the left side, right? If 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 any of you studied uh, politics in college, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But and often the i think the right will kind of argue against they argue against this idea of the patriarchy which in turn is attached to this idea of power dynamics intrinsic within hierarchies but it doesn't mean that there isn't power dynamics within hierarchies which is i think quite often what ends up happening on the conservative talking point is it ends up painting a picture as if like power dynamics don't exist all that exists is competence which is not true it's some combination of both There's this power dynamic at play, and there's also this competence dynamic at play, right? And what ends up happening in a system where you end up favoring the dominance over the competence, you produce a dominance hierarchy that disincentivizes the competent people from promoting within it. Because people tend to promote like traits. So let's say I'm successful at this job. You know, let's say let's say. I'm working for Amazon, right? And let's say I'm working inside one of those facilities and I am very good at unpacking a box. I'm really good at that. And I've developed a system that makes me the best at unpacking, the quickest at unpacking that box in the entire building. Because of that, I get promoted to a manager position, right? Because I was the best at unpacking those boxes, the most efficient. Now, when I go to promote somebody below me, what am I going to look for? I'm going to look for similar traits to what got me there. Right, And so I'm going to promote the person that probably is the quickest, the most efficient, develops the best system for unpacking a box. But there might be another, a bunch of other people out there that have a, a, a different way of going about tackling that problem or more, maybe a more efficient way that isn't the same way that you won't even notice because you're not looking for. You get what I'm saying? 
This is what is happening in our economy right now. Over and over and over and over and over again. Every single organization I have been inside, save the military, this has been happening. The military is the only organization I've ever been a part of that doesn't have this problem. I think part of the reason the military doesn't have this problem is because it disassociates the ego from the person before you get any kind of power. That's partially what BASIC is doing, is it's destroying your ego. Or at least crushing the one that you came in with and building a new one. (laughs) You know what I mean? One that's more controllable. Whatever. You can can view it from a myriad of different perspectives, right? But I I hope you get what I'm following, what I'm saying, because... I think this is one of the major problems intrinsic within our our economic system right now. And I also believe this is why it's going to fail. Because you've kept the most competent individuals from the places of competence, where we need it the most. You've also promoted the people with the largest egos. So when you get into a time of crisis, the people that have the the power to actually make a difference are the people that are going to save themselves. The people, that's partially why there's so much panic right now. Every single individual that I have seen that deals with infectious diseases for their career has made this out to seem like the biggest event in human recorded history. The biggest event in a lifetime, at least. Now, here's the thing. To them, they're not lying. Because to them, it is the biggest event to ever happen in their lifetime. Because they deal every day with infectious diseases. This is the Super Bowl. So, of course, when you get Anthony Fauci or whatever the guy's name is up on the TV that's going to tell you we're not going to shake hands anymore ever after this, you're on a power trip, bud. Your little section of the world is outsized right now. And because of that, it's making you feel like you have more power and your perspective is more correct. But just like I said yesterday, your, your perspective is no more correct than the next Let me get back to the economy because I got a little off topic there. Let me get a drink of my coffee here real quick too. Commerce. Let's define that. Commerce. That's not what I wanted. Let's see if we can find something better. Commerce. There we go. Definitions. Definition of commerce. The activity of buying or selling, especially on a large scale. Second one is social dealings between people. In order for the activity of buying or selling on a large scale to be possible, social dealings between people has to be in place, right? You have to be able to deal with people. You have to be able to inter- uh, to interact with people. Now, social is a big part of that. Social dealings between people, commerce, social dealings. A sociopath is a term used to describe someone who has antisocial personality disorder. People with ASPD can't understand others' feelings. They'll often break rules or make impulsive decisions without feeling guilty for the harm they cause. How does an economy operate when the people that are controlling it are sociopaths? It can, I don't think. And that is precisely why I think our economy is in the midst of a fall. No, I don't think that this recovery that they've been touting for the last... you got to be real careful right now. Do not put too much credit into any news story coming out right now, regardless of how you feel about it. Especially economically. Do not pay attention to anybody writing economic stories right now. Trust yourself. Don't trust anybody else. Because there is a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of power right now who are using those methods of communication to influence the market itself. The market itself has been influenced by things like media organizations and news stories. The market itself is consumer sentiment. How do you control consumer sentiment? Through the media itself. Don't pay attention to news organizations when they're talking about how the economy is going to do in the next six months. Because did they predict 
or economists, period, did anybody predict the coronavirus? I, I cannot stand when I see economists. I, you know, every two years, there's an economist that'll come up here and, and say, you know, we're on this economic, you know, I see there's five times, uh, you know, there's five times more growth possible within the S&P 500, within the next blah, 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 blah. According to this calculation, based on this trends line and this trend score and all this kind of stuff, all the data in the fucking world. Did anybody predict that in November or December of 2019, coronavirus was going to hit the China and it was going to crash the global markets. Did anybody predict that? No. So why do we put any why do we put any weight behind these people as experts? They don't know shit. They know no more than you do. They just play with the things all day. That's it. They just they just see data numbers going by all day and that they they believe that that somehow informs them better than you. I don't think that's true. One thing I learned at Amazon is that data isn't as valuable as we think it is. In an economy like we have, a modern economy, like a consumer society like we have today, consumer economy, yes, it's the most valuable thing there is, period. Because it's literally informing how you get people to consume more. That's what data is in the modern sense, at least as it relates to the economy. So yes, it becomes the most valuable thing because it's it's now the method of growth and continuation of the economic system. Now, I just lost my train of thought. Son of a bitch. I had a text that came through. What was I talking about? Damn. See, this is what happens when you don't have somebody else to talk with and they can't remind you when you lose your train of thought. Please stop, guys. No more texts. Thank you. Um... What was I talking about? Damn it. Anyway, uh, I, I I don't think the economic system can subsist the way it is. This consumer, this consumer, uh, this consumerism, right? Oh, data, 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 data. Yes. Okay. That's why I was very frustrated. I couldn't remember what it was. And because I think this is a good point. Um, but when I was at Amazon, I, I think I learned this fact because I tested it every single day. I had so many people that I worked around that believed 1,000% in the algorithms or the equations that they had written's ability to predict. Do you know how often it predicted things correctly? Like 25% of the time. My guesses were better. I could flip a coin and have a better percentage chance of being right about something than by operating off of the algorithm's predictions. And I worked every single day in a building that did nothing but deal with remarkable amounts of data. I don't think it's all that different than the data that comes out of an economic you know, system, Wall Street itself. What that tells me is these algorithms on Wall Street don't know shit. Their predictive power is zero. You'd be better flipping a coin. So don't pay attention to these guys sitting here trying to tell you they know. The biggest thing to tip you off that people know or don't know what the hell they're talking about is when they say they do. Maybe you'd be like, well, you're saying you do. Well, no, not really. I'm telling you don't trust anybody. I'm telling you trust yourself. Don't trust me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Don't trust anybody. Trust yourself. You know? Now I'm going to get I'm going to turn a little bit more into the more conspiratorial, uh, conspiratorial side. My other podcast we used to do, our uh, Beer Goggles podcast, we used to have a whole section of it. It was an hour and a half long podcast, a little longer than this one. And the last 30 minutes was always de- devoted to kind of um, conspiracy theories. And it was kind of fun. It was a fun little section. You know, there's a lot of really interesting theories out there. A lot of them that make a lot more sense than you'd probably originally, uh, initially uh, posit, right? Um, anyways, I... Uh, <laughs> So, one of the things that I, I do think we need to watch, this is going to be a conspiracy right off the bat, tinfoil hat on, right? But, and I think I've kind of talked about it a little bit before. Uh, this was really kind of popular about a month ago, this story was. Um, but there's a lot of coincidences. Conven- there's, there's some convenience with what's going on right now. If you, if you, if you, let's say if you assume that 
this economic recovery or the effect of the coronavirus economically is going to be at least on par with or worse than the 2008 financial crisis, then you could probably kind of accept some of the things I'm about to say. There's a couple countries in this world that I think have a vested interest in the downfall of the United States. I think it's hard to argue against that. Like objectively, they have a vested interest in us being no longer dominant because it is precisely our position as the dominant superpower in the world that grants us a lot of power economically, you know, internationally, really. I think those two countries are China and Russia. There's other countries that you could you could lump into there, but I think China and Russia are the two that actually have the economic and military means to do something about it. Now, <clears throat> there's some a couple other coincidences I'm going to point out right now that are freaking me out a little bit. Not as it relates to China, but as it relates to Russia. Why have you not heard anything from Russia in the last three months? Ask yourself that question. Where's Russia been during all this? You've, you've gotten numbers from every single organization you can think of in every single country you can think of besides Russia. You've even gotten fake numbers out of China. China's giving you numbers. They're just fake ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everywhere, except for Russia. Maybe not. Maybe I could look it up. Russia coronavirus cases. Let's see if we can find some numbers on this real quick. So as of today, it's showing that Russia's new cases are 1,786 total. Confirmed cases 13,584, recovered 1,045 deaths, 106 Only 106 deaths so far in Russia. Um, what's the population of Russia? Let's find that out. A hundred and forty four point five million. Oh, shit. Okay, so <laughs> so um, Let's put this in perspective real quick. United States has confirmed cases 522,188, right? Recovered 29,263. Total deaths so far 20,061. Now, I'm going to qualify that here in a little bit because I think the death death count and numbers are a little not a little off. They're way off. They're way skewed right now. And you need to be careful about what how much you weight you put behind the death toll numbers globally and in the United States. But Relative to the United States, this is Russia's. They have about half as many people, a little less than half as many people in the country as the United States. Confirmed cases-wise, they have, what is that, like a tenth of a percent? Deaths-wise? Uh, it's like a hundredth of a percent. Relative to the United States' death toll. A hundredth of a percent. Look at this. This is the reports out of China. Confirmed cases, 81,953. Recovered, 77,525. Deaths, 3,339. Let me read the United States' numbers real quick again. This is where it originated. That I just read you the, the, the numbers from the country of origin. This is the United States' confirmed numbers. 522,188. Relative to China, that is over five times the amount of cases that China has, at least the numbers that they're giving us. Their death toll is only 3,339? I mean, that's literally six to seven times. We have six to seven times higher death rate at this point. According to the numbers that I am seeing right here, this is on Google. If you want to pull it up yourself, just type in uh, the one that I typed in was Russia coronavirus cases, uh, and it pulled up this cases list that you can change the countries. You can view the worldwide death toll. You can right on Google, right? I don't know how accurate all of these numbers are, but if this is true, something is way off here. 
Something is way off, guys. Look at the, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Look at this. Like, uh, I, cu- countries with m- more people. China has way more people than the United States. They have way less case confirmed cases, way less deaths, way less recovered people. Uh, who else could you throw in there that has more people? I mean, um, let's see. What is uh, India? Right, India has tons of people. India only has seven thousand five hundred twenty-nine confirmed cases, two hundred forty-two deaths. What's going on there? These are the most densely populated. Japan, six thousand five, six thousand five total deaths, ninety-four. Again, United States, five hundred twenty-two thousand one hundred eighty-eight confirmed cases. What is going on? There's going to be a lot of people that are going to say that number, that difference in number is based on America's health. Let's do that. Let's see what... um, Let's see. Health ranking U.S. Let's see what our health ranking is. America's health ranking in the world. Let's see what this is. Let's see if this is going to be something I can pull up quickly. This is on americashealthrankings.org. For those of you that are interested to follow along. Um, this one might go over a little bit too, guys, because I'm kind of I'm really interested in this rabbit hole we're going down. We're, we're definitely getting to time here, but I want to keep going on this if that's okay. Let's see. There's a 2019 annual report. Let's see what this says. Um, state ranking. No, not state rankings. I don't want rankings. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, guys. This is uh, I'm trying to find a number here, um, but basically, I'm trying to figure out how much, how healthy the country of the United States is relative to the world. Right? Uh, I think in general, we're usually thought of as one of the more unhealthy countries because of our sedentary lifestyles and uh, like things like fast food and our diets. Um, but I wanted to find some data on it actually that I could present to you. It looks like it's going to take a little too long. I don't want to bore you to death while I'm searching. But um, what's going on there, guys? That's really weird. It's very, very weird. Now you could. That's the reason I well, I looked it up. Is like you could chalk that up to a difference in, in people's health, right? Their fitness levels, things like that. Or you could chalk it up to some kind of reporting issue. The numbers themselves being wrong. You'd expect, you'd, you'd expect a confirmed recovered and death toll count to be relatively similar based on the population, right? It should be relative to the population in general. So like you should see more cases as the population goes up. <clears throat> but uh, um, apparently not. I think this might be this this could also be representative of, of, of faulty reporting. One of the things that I've been hearing, and this is one of the things I'm gonna, you know, that I, I've been hearing on more conservative news sources, right? A crowder has been talking about this a lot. Um, is misreporting the death toll counts. So um, Again, I want to make sure that people understand if you're listening, if you're going through something really hard right now and you have somebody that's sick, I understand. I don't mean to make that worse for you, and I apologize, but I am going to talk about some of this stuff because I think it's important, okay? Um, Part of the issue with the way that we're counting coronavirus cases and death tolls themselves, I'm not necessarily confirmed cases, but death tolls especially, is a lot of the people, one one of the things that makes this virus exponentially more deadly is whether or not you have a pre-existing condition, some kind of medical condition, right? And so if you, let's say you have lung cancer, or let's say you have, you're going through chemotherapy where you have a weakened immune state or um, <clears throat> some kind of autoimmune disorder already, or uh, I, I don't know, you, myriad of different conditions, right? Um, if you already have one of those, you're highly, and your immune state is in a, in a more compromised condition, you're far more susceptible to not only get the virus, but to die from it. Right, it's, it can be much worse, much harsher on the body. Now, one of the problems with this is when you lump all people that died of coronavirus. So here's the thing, right? Let's take somebody that was stage four terminal cancer, right? And they probably have like a six months or so to live, right? Um, extremely grim topic. Like, this is, I apologize for having to bring up a topic like this, but um, now. 
let's say that they, you know, they're in a, a weakened immune state, uh, immune condition. A lot of people are usually on chemotherapy, maybe not in stage four, but you get what I'm saying, right? Um, <clears throat> and they're more susceptible to catch things like the flu. That's why you usually have I mean, people are, you have to be really cautious around people that are on chemotherapy or, or, or have a weakened immune state. That's why you don't go to visit people at the hospital if you're sick, you know what I mean? Because it can be, you know, life or death kind of a thing when you're already sick. And so, What's happening is a lot of people that are already in these states are dying from it, right? That are already in these weakened immune condition states. They're dying from it, but they also were already on the path to, on that path. Do you get what I'm saying? They were very close to a early death, for lack of a better way of describing it. I don't mean to be cold by saying it that way. And... From what Crowder is saying, I don't know if I can, again, Crowder like does the same thing that a lot of like, like MSNBC does and stuff like he's going to present one side of the subject. So I don't know if I can trust it completely, but I, I it's intriguing at least because it makes sense like that a lot of up to 98%, I think he said of the cases in New York state uh, that are being reported as coronavirus deaths had underlying serious medical conditions like that, where they were going to die in something like, like one to six months, regardless of uh, if they caught the coronavirus. Now, you, you get how misleading that could be, right? If a lot of the people that were already very sick are dying from coronavirus, not condoning that in any way, not saying that's good or okay, but just saying that that's also facts we need to know of. If you're going to lump all coronavirus deaths into the same thing, it's going to paint a picture as if it's far worse than it actually is, right? Now, if you take what I just said and then look at the reported death rate, the differences between different countries makes sense we might be blowing this out of proportion this may be more political than we thought now why would you over why would you overblow death toll reports well to scare people more so that you can control people more readily (laughs) that's that's why super simple people are more controllable when they're scared they're not more controllable, they're more predictable. You can tell what you need to do more readily. The third thing that I'm going to bring up, reason for that disparity, and this is going to be the craziest one, is that it was intentional. What did I just say before? There's two countries... Uh, I have a vested interest in the downfall of the United States as a global superpower, as the only global superpower. And it just so happens that one of those is the origin of this virus. What's also very curious is if these reported numbers are correct, that country is faring far better than we are. Actually, far better than every other major established country in the in the world. So I ask you this: if the United States has the has like one of the has the most advanced medical system in the world with the most uh, you know uh, the highest ability to develop new vaccines to treat uh, uh, sicknesses things like that I mean I just read an article the other day that they, we didn't even have to use the emergency beds because in uh, Washington state because it's dealt with already they, they the National Guard was sent in to send in to, to set up like 150 emergency beds in one of the convention centers in I think it was in Washington uh, in Seattle and they just sent them over to dismantle it yesterday I think it was because they didn't need them right what if what if this was intentional Like, just imagine for a second. If you wanted to really hit the United States where it hurts the most, you would. And not be found out, right? Not be targeted as the the culprit. You'd have to develop a strategy to somehow stop or affect the economic system without people knowing it. How would you do that? Well, a virus is a really good way of doing that. Especially when the area, Wuhan, 
that this virus originated from, the, the meat markets, the wet markets that they call, they have, these, these are really close. I think it's a mile and a half away from a state-run, like, essentially CDC for China. It's where they store things like the coronavirus, <laughs> develop vaccines, things like that. Some, not only smallpox, all of those, right? So, so very convenient location, origin, right? You know, if you were going to release a virus, wouldn't you want it to come out, of, just so happen, come out of the area where it could have developed naturally? Like in a wet market? Yeah. Convenient, right? And then, if you were going to release a virus, would you want to make it super deadly? No, because I'd kill your whole population, and you need your population to produce right? And so what do you do? Well, you develop a virus that gets you sick, kind of like the flu, but doesn't really kill you. And you release it. And then in the following months, you create confusion. You create false reporting, false narratives, blowing things out of proportion, you sow dissonance in the political systems overseas, in the United States themselves, causing political divisions. That's why you've seen so many back and forth flip-flopping between the news organizations on what you should do about the coronavirus, whether it was bad or good or dangerous or not or overblown or not. From the same media organizations going back and forth, the reason that's happening is because I think somebody's screwing with them. <laughs> or could be screwing with them. And then people freak out. The only thing, the way that in this scenario that I'm talking about, this conspiracy that I'm talking about, the only way that, you know, the plan could be successful is if people get scared, disproportionately scared and overreact. What do you see happening from, I think, every single, I don't know. We're going to find out soon, guys. In the next two or three months, as this stuff unravels, as this goes away and we start to get back to some modicum of normal, we're going to start to figure out what the real story is. And I am worried that there's something more there in that thread. You know, I'm not going to follow it anymore because I'm starting to lose some steam there. But you get kind of where I'm coming from. There's some weird, like, there's some very convenient things going on there. Like I said, Russia's being super quiet. And I'm worried that there's something going on there. And I hope that we, <laughs> I hope there isn't. I hope I'm completely freaking wrong. And we can go on after this coronavirus thing and hopefully just kind of focus on getting our small businesses set back up, right? That's really what we're going to have to focus on when we come back from this. It's going to be small business, man. If save a world war, <laughs> like I just postulated. But uh, save the lunacy, right? In in a in a logical, non maniac driven world everything will get back to normal fairly quickly right and but but the businesses that you know like and i think it's going to be mainly um restaurants you know like those are the businesses i don't think i had a lot of funds to make it through this there's a lot of you know mom and pop shops the restaurant industry is already so cutthroat so hard to make it as a as an as an organization that uh to have a stoppage like this, like just a pause for two months, I, I see a huge, huge section, uh, and diverse and the diversity of our, you know, local eating establishments and stuff dropping drastically after this. And I do worry about that because one of the other things I don't think we've realized is how many people are employed by the service industry itself. A lot of the jobs that have been created over the last 10 years have been service industry jobs. Let's look that up. Job creation over last 10 years by industry. Let's see what we got here. Point by industry movie changes. Let's see what we can find here, guys. <laughs> so um, that would most, and this one is going to fall under uh, leisure and hospitality. Um. The one-month change in leisure and hospitality, it's showing right now that we've lost over 500,000 jobs in a month. 
in just that sector. Uh, second hardest hit is education and health services with uh, under 100,000. So disproportionately the leisure and hospitality sector. Three month outlook, 12 month, let's see what we got here. So we have we are set for the next 12 months to lose about 100,000 jobs in leisure and hospitality. Up until this point, um, we had been gaining in leisure and hospitality. That's where we've been building the most, right? Retail, leisure and hospitality. Those are where the jobs are usually produced, at least for the last 10 years. And so when you have that that disproportional of an effect on one industry that is also the source of most of your economic growth, I see a really slow economic recovery coming on after that. Or a depression itself. It's one thing that I don't think we've talked about enough. People like don't like to use the D word. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they like to jump to a recession as if it's fucking different. I mean, there are different, but it's just different extremes. That's a, you know what I mean? Like a recession is just the baby version of a depression. You know what I mean? But I think that we are on the path to a recession or already in one right now. And the depression is the next step that we're probably going to hit here soon. That's why it's, and it's, and it's, this is also linking to China as well. Like this has been a long, long, long term. This is also part of the negative aspects of the trade agreements that we've made over the last 20 years. You know what I mean? This is, this is partially what China or Trump was railing against. And I do agree with him on this and how he's dealt with China. There's been some very, very bad deals we made, uh, in terms of industry, uh, in our relation to China and we've given away a lot of those industries and now we're in a position where most of our economic de- we are dependent economically on people consuming almost entirely leisure hospitality retail right now if those fall off what happened we don't have anything moving anymore there's no there's no other industries that are really a backbone in the United States anymore steel used to be one not anymore oil used to be one not anymore uh, electricity used to be one not anymore you know what I mean? Like uh, manufacturing in general used to be one, not anymore, right? Produce and farming and things like that still still tend to be one of our bigger exports. I think if I'm if I'm a, if I'm correct, right? But not not major, not enough to support the United the U.S. economic system. Definitely not enough to support you know stimulus checks in the trillions of dollars. We started spending money. Massive amount of some money precisely when our economy stopped. Which is precisely how you create a hyperinflation problem. Which is probably what we're headed towards. And hyperinflation to me equals depression. So, I'm... (laughs) Oh man, it's almost 50 minutes, guys. What the hell? This is a long one. Uh, I, I I know this was supposed to be um, me not talking about. Yeah, I know it wasn't. I was going to talk about coronavirus. I knew I was going to talk about coronavirus. I kind of like going longer form like this, though. It gives me a little. There's a little less pressure on me to kind of get the idea out, and I have a little more time to look up things like I did, um, like some of these articles and stuff I looked up. Um, if I do pull stuff up, you know, especially not. I won't like if I just do a Google search like that and do some pull up some some numbers or something on Google. Like I'll just like I did tell you what I searched so you can do it yourself. But if I do ever pull up or read from or pull from an article, I will, I will put that source in the show notes so that you can look at it up yourself, you know, because I do think it's pop. It, it is important to let people know where you're getting your information from. Right. Uh, and I want to, I want to be very clear, like up until this point, I don't think I've, uh, enunciated how I view, um, I've been critical of things like data and facts, right. <laughs> and experts. I, w- I want to make sure that doesn't paint the wrong picture, right? I do value data, facts, and experts. But it is kind of my job in this podcast to unseat those founded things every once in a while. You get what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of um, assumptions that are based on those things that need to be rattled a little bit. And I hope it doesn't paint a picture as if I don't view proving what you're saying or backing up what you're saying with facts and data as valuable. I do. I know that there's value behind that. I know it's in some sense, the only logical way to go about presenting an argument that is repeatable. I get it. But also it's partially why our conversations have been skewed so much towards one side, one perspective up until this point in the modern era and it needs to be unseated. Anyway, 
Hope you understand that. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to try to maybe do a little bit more of this in the future, talk a little bit longer, let it go a little longer. I don't know why I got into the mode of like limiting at 35 minutes. I kept on telling you guys like, oh, I'm getting to time. I don't know what it's not like I sit in a booth here. (laughs) It's not like I pay for the time here. This is my house, my computer, my mic, man. So I don't have any time limit. Um, I'm going to continue to let this thing evolve into whatever it's going to be in the future, right? I do want to start to kind of incorporating more in current events. Once we get current events going besides the coronavirus, I'm going to try to incorporate more current events, more like kind of, like I said, backing up what I'm saying with factual data and other perspectives, maybe out there, other stories and stuff, you know, um, maybe bringing in some opposite perspectives. So I have something to talk or, or, uh, or bring up when I'm talking about certain ideas. Right. But I want to have this form, uh, uh evolve. And as we move forward, you know, it may get longer, may get shorter, but I'm going to make sure that I don't like hold myself to rules and limitations that aren't necessary. <laughs> so often we do that. We like limit. I don't know if you've ever done that when you get in a rush in the day, you know, you're like, oh, I got a lot of stuff to do today. So then you'll start to put limitations on, on like things that you don't need to. You'll be like out walking your dog and be like, come on, come on, go quicker, go quicker. You know, and it's like, well, what really going quicker with the dog is going to, is it really going to save you the extra five minutes you think it is? Or is it going to save you like 45 seconds? And do you really need an extra 45 seconds? You get what I'm saying, right? We place these limitations that are ridiculous on ourselves all the time. So anyway, I'm going to attempt to not do that in this podcast. Excuse me. Coffee is uh, hitting me hard. And uh, I hope you're doing well out there, guys. I really do. I hope you're, I hope you're developing and growing through this time um, in whatever way you see fit. Um, I hope you're staying fit. I hope maybe, you know, fitness is becoming more relevant and more important to you during this time. I think that is the one thing that we can walk away from coronavirus saying definitively is that if you were a healthy individual going into it, you would have a much higher likelihood of not catching it or catching it and not having a severe case, right? So let's take that moving forward and say like, hey, let's live healthier lives because if we do have coronavirus 2.0 in 2020 or whatever, um, you're going to be better set up to... uh, to thrive in a world where where people are scared (laughs) you know what i mean so anyway um that's what i got for you today guys i I know like i said that was a long one i hope you enjoyed every second of it and i will be back at it as soon as i can with more ideas and more talking all right uh you guys stay safe out there and i will see you later bye-bye